Welcome to the Child Discipleship Podcast. My name is Melanie Hester, and I'm so glad that you're here today with me. We're diving into a conversation today with Rebecca Lyons, who is a giant in the community. This conversation with her was recorded at the Child Discipleship Forum, where she was also a speaker. Her full talk is available at childdiscipleship.com. But for now, here's that conversation with Rebecca. Rebecca, thanks for giving us a little bit of your time. You did a great job sharing. Thank you. And we're so uh, connected with what you share about what forms resilience in young people, young adults, and adults. So yeah. thank you for what you've shared. So let's keep this conversation rolling uh, and let's talk about the cultural formation of today's child. So you and Gabe, if you don't know our friends watching, uh, you and Gabe host wonderful, beautiful conversations in the Think world, uh, the Think universe. Uh, go check out Think Media. Uh, I love what you do because it's at the intersection of faith and culture, faith and technology, faith and the kind of the progression of the world as it unfolds. But that faith element, obviously, right there at the center. So talk about today's child. You, you, you've, you've used terms in the last year about transhumanism and metaverse and AI and chat GPT. And these things are so intimidating. Mm-hmm. Talk about today's child. What world is today's child growing up in? Well, today's child is having to fight to stay human. <laughs> I don't think we've ever really known that. I mean, since the Industrial Revolution in the early 1900s, Everything was agrarian before Mm -hmm. that. Everything was very embodied, natural, circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. We we just did things the way God made it. And then all of a sudden we've got technology, which did advance like machinery and factories, but then it was more efficient to keep those machines on. And then all of a sudden this resourcefulness and this productivity level of being always on was really meant for factories and machines, but now it's meant for humans. And now we need iPhones to make us more superhuman. And Mm. then now we need AI to make us even more superhuman. And all of a sudden it's this just tension of going, what does it mean to be finite creatures Mm. that were created with the Imago Dei in us? And then this is kind of all coming around that, trying to cloud it, cover it, uh, blanket it, Uh, And it's so alluring because it promises this utopian dream. Yeah. But as we know, even the American dream falls flat. Every dream outside of the kingdom Mm. is never going to satisfy. So you seem to be describing uh, this, this, this progression, technology, the advancement of the secular world. Uh, It's, I think you're saying it's unsustainable. So, so what do let's let's keep thinking about today's child. I, I think we were we're people of the word. Clearly, we would say our today's child needs the gospel, needs the Bible. What are the other elements that would help build uh, a healthy life, uh, lead, help help shape their faith in Christ, but also just bring about renewal and health in their yeah. world? So I do this under the rubric of these rhythms, because if you don't have a regulating rhythm, you can't calm your mind or retrain your brain. And so a lot of my background is in mental health and faith from my own journey of coming out of panic disorder, anxiety and depression, helping my kids process that, Mm -hmm. helping their friends process that. A lot of college students I disciple process that. Uh, Because all that tsunami of information coming at them, like no other generation has had that much global information in their brain. 
and it's all largely negative. And so they're feeling crushed by the weight of this oppressive, broken system, and yet they don't have agency to do anything about it. So it's almost just sitting there, just on them, and covering really what the agency they already do have is to affect what's right in front of them. Not here, but here. Yeah. And so as, more, as much as we can talk about these regulating rhythms, the first one is rest, as rest. we know, like Sabbath is real, tech detox, um, taking inventory of your life. I always encourage kids, no matter what season they're in, starting college, starting high school, what's right, wrong, confused, and missing. If you can answer those four questions in any season, what's right, what's wrong, mm. what's confused, and what's missing, yeah. then you can at least go to a mentor, a coach, a guide, and say, I'm wrestling with these things. Can you help me? Therapists can help with that, obviously, but not every family can afford clinical counseling. And I think it's very important that we get this back, this embodied practice back in just friendship or just regular old mentors. We can really normalize prevention care by letting the church be very active in this kind of processing with our kids. So the rest rhythm is so important. The restore rhythm is the physical, the embodiment. The gospel is embodied. It is not something where you just sit in a classroom and you take notes. It's not all cognitive. No, no, it's a hundred percent holistic. Jesus, God himself put on flesh and came and dwelt among us and showed us an example of the gospel in human form. He didn't have to do that. But he did. And because we now have a picture of God as a son of man, as well as a son of God, then we get to understand like Jesus' life is a model that we can follow. Whether he walked, whether he broke bread, whether he communed, where he helped, where he served, he went. He was sent. And it wasn't a sedentary life. Jesus was not at all just sitting around. Um, It was very inviting. And so our kids need to get back in that restorative rhythm. So as we know, when we move, serotonin is released which is the happy hormone when we elevate our heart rate. And then all of a sudden that gives you goodwill, positivity. Um, Dopamine is released when you hold a hug for eight to 12 seconds. We can actually do real hugs, not like side hugs, but real hugs with our Mm. kids or them with their friends. Um, And that gives you a sense of connection and belonging. Mm. And and these are just normal human things, right? Things are happening. We may not even know they're happening, but they're happening. Yeah. And so we just think, oh, they're fine. They're, They're entertained. But no, they're losing the actual normal functions of humanity. So I'm hearing you say two things with two themes within what you're describing. One, you're describing discipleship as holistic. 100%. Clearly, we all should engage God's word, engage the scripture, but you're describing a whole life uh, formation. Yes. Secondly, I hear you. It seems like there's a secret ingredient of loving, caring adults engaging in the lives of yes. children. And yes. so to talk about the value of having that, whether it's a mom or dad or yes. a mentor or a coach, talk about the importance of yes. that. If, if our kids can't find those who've gone before them, who have made room for them, had space for them, hold space with them, aren't trying to fix them or solve them, uh, then all of a sudden that that whole mentorship with Paul and Timothy and Barnabas, like there, this is modeled throughout Scripture. Jesus and his disciples, all of all of equipping always happened in friendship, mm-hmm. in, a, in hanging out and mm-hmm. spending time. And kids will look back and point to the people who didn't have to, but did want to be around them. 
That's why Young Life has been so positive for my son with Down syndrome because they have Capernaum. And it's just a special needs club for kids like him in high school that come together every two weeks and they, they sing songs, they have Bible study, they do dance parties, they tell the gospel, and they have a really good meal. But the point is, is like just meet people where they are, yeah. make room for them and show up. And it, it's just, it's exponential, mm-hmm. that impact of influence with mentorship. Let's let's move to a very different topic, but I think one that has to be articulated in today's world. Sort of as, as we deconstruct the things from our past that were actually destructive to our faith. You mentioned recently and kind of evaluating previous decades, like the problem of legalism. You know, legalism says the problem is found outside of myself, and the answer is found inside of myself. Where the gospel says, right. no, the problem's found inside myself. I've got sin and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm wounded. I'm, I'm, I'm a, yeah. a fallen person and the answer is found outside of myself. Right. And what, what I heard you mention was legalism really promotes a culture of secrets mm-hmm. and it just erodes the overall community. But talk about the dangers of legalism and how as the church move for, moves forward, We've just really got to move beyond that. Well, Jesus addresses this directly when he's talking to the Pharisees. It's like the outside of the cup looks very clean, but the inside is not. And when your insides don't match your outsides, you're incongruent, right? You, your body, your, even your brain is not, it's no longer um, talking. It's not working together. It's, it's, it's inconsistent. And so it makes your brain sick when you're dis- when you're disengaged and it makes your ministry sick, your life sick. If you have secrets that are not, you're not living who you are. You're not, you're not being honest and forthright. So therefore you can't be free. And as we know with the law, right. Or like the, the performance based legalism, which really what that was all about, it was, it was too great a burden for a man to bear. God himself became the ultimate sacrifice because law would always be punitive. It was a legal system. It was meant to punish because sin was such a big deal to God. But, But he's not putting that burden on us now. That burden was given to Christ who took that on our behalf so that we then could walk free of shame. We could receive the grace of God. And if we don't receive our own grace, it's a lot harder for us to extend that grace in the church. I hear you say that there's risk in there's risk in grace, but with that risk comes the outpouring of love. When one realizes their brokenness, they can respond yeah. uh, in that grace. And when yeah. we've been so forgiven by God, yeah. how would we ever condemn someone else? Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of when mm. we fully experience God's grace, we can only empathize with someone else with compassion because we understand where we've come yeah. and we're being really honest about it. And let's be, that's the point. If we as adults can't be real honest with our own sin that God may redeem, Mm. then we could actually, with our kids, tell the truth about the things we did wrong or the things that we made mistakes, not as like wounds or scars that we, that are bury us in shame, but more talk about the redemption and the fullness of the resurrection. Yeah. So we're in a time right now with there's recently uh, a bit of a revival that just broke out in Auburn University. Last year, there was this past year, uh, what happened on Asbury, multiple campuses. I want to tie that to our, our mutual friend, Mark Sayers, says the secular vision of utopia is failing this generation. Do you think that's what's happening is that young people are are seeing that all of these promises, that secularism, the human renewal project it's just not living up to its promises and they're discovering Jesus. What are you seeing as you work with young people? Well, yeah, because we can't be like God. <laughs> we can't. We can try. We can try to create utopia and try to become superhuman, but 
in the end, we're actually more comfortable with the congruence that we're frail Mm -hmm. and that we need help. And if we're real honest and vulnerable and we feel safe to be that, then I think a lot of these kids are finding refuge, got our ever-present help in our moments of trouble. Because our kids are not, they are not, um, they're not exempt from suffering. They are, they're feeling it more than ever. So whatever promise of utopia is already turned on its head. They're anxious, depressed, mm-hmm. isolated, alone, tormented, debilitated addiction. Addiction is on the rise. So the kids aren't even buying it. They're going, well, that might be promised, but none of that's happening internally. So instead I'm going to come back to what maybe the faith of my childhood or someone who spoke into my life when I was younger. I'm, I'm interested because someone's kind in the church and they're inviting, they're not condemning. And so I think I was at Asbury and what the spirit in that room was so pure and sweet and unpretentious. There was no spectacle. There was no demonstrative personality attached to it. it there was a gentleness attached to that. And every kid in that room has been battered and beaten up and tormented. And the kindness Mm. of Christ is what draws them. Not the promise of like being bigger than yourself. No, it's, it's the gentleness of God. And I, I, I'm, I'm so, I was so moved at my age watching it because we as parents have been praying for something like this for a long, long time Mm. and to just watch it happen in just such an organic, beautiful, freeing way. I think there's more, more to come. So our specialty is child discipleship. We do a lot of research and we have a lot of history and expertise. Let's boil this down to just one thing we can do as parents. Like this, this week I'm listening to this. I'm watching this. Rebecca, just give me an encouragement of one thing. As I think about my own kids, what, how, how can I help point them to Jesus Give us a final word here. Meet them where they are and find those pockets of time in any given day. Scriptures talk about morning time, drive time, bedtime, meal time. Make those these sanctuary moments of conversation. So I've told my kids nothing's off limits. No conversation is off limits. And when you say that, you need to mean that. And so they'll start bringing things slowly. And the way you respond to what you're hearing is everything. If they say something that alarms you or concerns you, you cannot react. (laughs) You just lean in and go, tell me more. How did that make you feel? Just be the most curious that you can possibly be with your kids. And also, if they ask you a direct question, even about your own story, be honest with them and then point them back to God. Mm. Don't shy away from hard things. And as you build that trust with them, knowing that they can come to you further, then you'll build the relationship yeah. and you'll wind up being close friends down the road. Mm. And that you'll That's so beautiful. That you That's will so be important. close friends. Yeah. And you, you'll find that they're choosing the things, not because you told them to, but because you, you modeled it, but you loved them and met yeah. them exactly where they are. Yep. Well, friends, uh, you're going to want to check out Rebecca's book on resiliency, which is titled exactly Building a Resilient Life, Building a Resilient Life. And if you're interested in the whole idea of the intersection of faith and culture, uh, you're going to want to check out Thank Media. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. 
young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.